Jazz are five and one. Jazz are five and one. Even after the freakout on Saturday, they are five and one. We're talking about it right now on Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. Process over results. Is it too early for me to break out the chill wagon? That and also Quinn Snyder on ratings, which I found very intriguing, and a little mini preview of the road trip. What I'm looking forward to as the Jazz head to Atlanta, Miami, and Orlando. You're listening to the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz and MLS 3112, an equal housing lender. A little bit of the throwback here on the podcast, as it's usually joined by a guest. Don't worry, we'll get back to that. As Chris Herring of Sports Illustrated, looking to have him join on Friday. He had some great things to say about the Jazz on the Low Post a couple episodes ago. So I said, okay, I need to get this guy on because he is high on this team, rightfully so, but he really liked the offseason additions, Rudy Gay included. He had Rudy Gay winning an award. Haven't seen Rudy Gay just yet. Resume is a little thin right now for this season. But I want to see why, why he's high on them. It's a little bit of a throwback. Just me on the pod today on Monday, November 1st, which is pretty wild. That's November. Jazz have 10 home games this month. They have this road trip and another one later on. Mostly it's a lot of home games and ones where the Jazz can pick up wins. I think the thing coming out of the weekend, and we can get into it now, the thing coming out of this weekend is to emphasize what Jordan Clarkson said post-game after the Milwaukee win. And okay, Milwaukee didn't have all those contributors from the title run on the team, but they still had Giannis, they still had Bobby Portis, they still had Pat Connaughton. They had enough to keep it competitive. And the confidence of winning a championship keeps you in that game and makes it contentious late. They made their runs, and the Jazz continually fought back, matched their energy. That's a good team, even without the All-Stars on the bench, without Drew Holiday, without Chris Middleton, without Brooke Lopez. Grayson Allen has turned himself into a rotation player. They're good. They aren't as good as the Jazz. That's why the Jazz should have won that game and did. But the thing that came out of the weekend is something I want to emphasize uh, that was talked about by Jordan Clarkson. And let's listen to him first, and then we'll get to the big picture. We ain't playing for right now. I think a lot of our focus is on uh, down the line and, uh, you know, how we can break the wall and, you know, take the next step forward as a team. I feel like us guarding defensively as guards, keeping our guys in front of us individually, keeping guys out the paint, is going to be a big key for us uh, to win. Uh, later on down the year and uh, shoot right now, to be honest with you too, but we just building those habits with these early games. And, uh, you know, we focus on that now. It just becomes uh, our identity and, you know, what uh, what we hold our accountable, uh, ourselves accountable to. Process over results. In so many words, he's talking about it's not about now, it's about down the road. It's about being in the playoffs. It's about taking on teams who are throwing different strategies at you, tactics, 
and being able to solve the puzzle. Bucks play differently from the Bulls, and the Bucks can throw different things in their defensive scheme. You saw at times they were dropping big with Giannis, and then other times they were playing so high with Thanasis, his brother, that they were pressuring the ball. So they showed two different things and two opportunities to score different buckets. And if you look at the team that they threw out Sunday, full strength, the Jazz with Mike Conley in the lineup, it's something that we've talked about a lot, is that the Jazz are perfectly cast. You watch Curb, Seinfeld, sometimes they do this thing where they have other characters playing different roles. Jerry becomes Kramer, Kramer becomes Jerry. Funny for a moment, if you watch an entire season of that, it doesn't work. There's a reason why they got their tropes and they go into the lanes that they provide. I caught the French dispatch over the weekend, and for Wes Anderson, there's a reason why everything's in a particular order. Everything's staged in one spot. Quinn Snyder, Justin Zanuck, Wes Anderson. Instead of OCD attention to detail, set pieces that are symmetrical, it's Red Bull for Justin. But it's the same thing. Everything's somewhere for a reason. Every player is in their role for a reason, and it fits the Jazz. Well, look at Sunday compared to Saturday, and you see that fully on display. Mike Conley's not there Saturday, and so Donovan Mitchell is trying to play the Mike Conley role, and it's stilted. It's not as good. It's 20 turnovers, 25 points off of those, and they're bad turnovers. They aren't dead ball ones. They're live, in the play, transition the other way, two points. When he is in the lineup, when Mike's there, it's perfectly cast. He's a professional. He can calibrate an offense. You look at the lineups on cleaning the glass. The Jazz starters on the floor have one of the best differentials in the entire league. As of 9 a.m. Monday, fifth best differential. And that's of groups playing major minutes. So it's perfectly cast. Which is why on Saturday, when you hear Jared Butler talking about his time on the floor, how much he got because somebody needs to come in and play backup minutes with the second unit. Can't have Donovan out there the entire time. Or Joe, who's now a starter when Mike's out. He's talking about how hard it is. He uses hard like 15 times in a three-minute media post-game presser. It's hard. It's a tough mental battle, but it's tough. It's hard. It's kind of hard, but it's not hard. Like, does that make sense? It's hard, man. Like, it's just hard, man. It's just hard. That's the only way I can explain it. And it's going to be hard. It's the NBA. It's not going to be like college, where he's shooting 40% from three when he has the ball in his hands and he can get off the bounce. The defenders will let you blow by sometimes. You're playing undergrad. This is the master's course. So when you see Butler struggle, you can't freak out. Got to have reasonable hype for him. I, I thought maybe I would bring out the chill wagon early on in the season. Didn't expect it to be six games in. Butler's going to be fine. But to expect him to be an all-star and perennially an all-star right now is unreasonable. And it's a caviar problem, but... When Mike Conley is down, it's going to come down to him and Trent Forrest in taking up minutes with the second unit. Because if you look at the that second group that Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley captain, 
going against bench units at the end of quarters, they are dominant. And it's a main reason why the Jazz beat the Nuggets last week. They made every single bench player for Denver have a negative plus minus. It bore out in the first half, too, when Jokic wasn't on the floor. His plus minus. He's the one that brought him back. When he went out, it was 62-60. The Jazz had made an 11-point lead in that point when he was on the bench. And that's because Mike Conley perfectly cast. Jared Butler and Trent Forrest, as a discussion going back to those two guards, Butler probably has more dynamism attacking the basket, has more things in his bag, can score, showed in college at Baylor, reason why he was the most outstanding player in the tournament, scored a bunch to lead them on that run. Trent Forrest is steady, and I like Trent. The guy knows how to run a club, showed in summer league, is taking positive steps to being dependable, but he doesn't have the threat of scoring the basketball. And that's where you see two different things in Butler and Forrest. Forrest can run your club, but defending him might be easier because he doesn't have as much scoring in his back. You look at Mike Conley, there are only three guys on the team that can pull up, shoot in your grill, score. It's Donovan, it's Mike, it's Jordan Clarkson. Other than that, Joe Ingles will get a pull-up only if the defense completely falls asleep and hasn't read the scouting report that he's a three-point shooter. But Mike Conley can create off the dribble, he can attack the basket, has that mid-range game, can hit a floater, he has those options in his back. Butler's ceiling depends on how much he could get in there. This is his first NBA season. His head's spinning. He's going to hit a rookie wall later. The hype needs to be reasonable. But beyond him, everybody's perfectly cast. Shout out to the casting director, Justin Zanuck. It's a Jeff Van Gundy, be a star in your role. And as you star in role, this team flourishes. Hassan Whiteside has been a revelation through six games. Now, it's just six games, but his defense has been spectacular. He's playing late in the fourth quarter against the Bucks. And you're not worried about it. You're completely fine. He's playing possessions against Giannis. It works. He's just on a minimum contract, and you're getting great value out of that spot. Pascal has had great moments where he can provide another option to be a big body, similar to Royce O'Neal's role. Not exactly a like-for-like substitution. And if he could dependably hit that shot from three, he'll get even more playing time. This is how it should work. And with so many home games stacking up in the month of November, going to be a lot of wins on the schedule. Okay, that leads me to my second thing, which I wanted to get into because Quinn Snyder, I want to say before Houston, had a fascinating answer to Eric Walden, the Salt Lake Tribune, when he asked about ratings. And it leads to what we talked about just now process over results so let's hear that from Quinn Snyder talking about ratings I'm not big on ratings um, I think they're just they're numerically deceptive you know you could be a top 10 offense and be you know two tenths of a percentage point away from being the number one offense in the league um, you know 
So that's not to say that, you know, being in near the top of the league offensively means you have a bad offense. You know, there's some correlation there. Um, But I I think it's important then to to look at, you know, how are you playing offense? You know, how, where are the teams you're more effective against and certain things and other things you struggle with a little bit more and and your focus can be there. so I think you still want to improve, you know, and that's, you know, like I said, I, I think if you're really results oriented, you know, hopefully that can give your team some confidence, but also, you know, to have an understanding that that doesn't mean, you know, Hey, we're top five and offense. it didn't feel like we were top five in offense and defense last year, you know, at the end of the year felt like we lost in the playoffs. <laughs> so, um, always room for improvement there. You know, it's easy to, you know, it's easy to look at numbers and say defensive rating, offensive rating. You know, I mean, I, I would point to something as simple as, you know, the different types of, you know, what's the, what's the metric that you're using? Is it cleaning the glass where they don't factor in garbage time? Cause maybe we're the number one offense, you know, and then or certain times your bench is playing great. And, you know, so it's hard. You know, I, I think it's hard to to value those things on a too deep a level. I think it's more important to me, at least, particularly where we are now, um, just to try to get better and, and really look at the film and look at how guys can do things better individually, how different combinations can help you get better. And uh, obviously, you guys know I'm, I'm not, you know, we, we do pay attention to the analytics as well, but I, I think it's important to kind of factor some of that stuff out. They're not everything, and they can be deceptive because at the end of the season, a good offensive rating, defensive rating, comes at the expense of the teams with the bad ones, okay? Jazz, between their talent level and Oklahoma City's, when they're not playing Shea Gilgis-Alexander towards the end of the season, it's a Grand Canyon. It's huge. We can use them as a measuring stick, as something, a part of the conversation, but they aren't everything. This was the hang-up with Milwaukee for years going into last season's finals. They would always be top five offensive defense, but ultimately crash out in the playoffs because they didn't adjust enough. And the analysis was, what's going on with this team? They're supposed to have the best offensive league. Well, teams have different counters. If you're playing good teams every single outing your defensive and offensive ratings are going to plummet they're going to get worse they're not going to look like that number one team playoffs some guys are 82 game players some guys are 16 game players there are differences that's why when I look at the way that the Jazz are shooting right now and it's not to the level that they were last year 32 percent from three that's not it they're still shooting at a high volume and that's where they can get bailed out offensively, but the process of the shots is right. They're getting good shots. They're getting corner threes. They're avoiding the mid-range other than, obviously, Mike Conley with his floater, Donovan Mitchell when he's hitting his spots. Those shooting percentages will get better. Jordan Clarkson going through a little bit of a slump. When he comes back up, those percentages will go back up. The process over the results. They're doing the right process. The shots that they're getting are fine. 
The rain's still good. Partly because they've been playing bad teams. Oklahoma City to open the season. Houston. Those teams are rebuilding. But those numbers can be deceptive. That's why you have to look at the wider view. And with any number, really, I mean, you have to check it and, and see that it also matches what you're watching on the floor. That's why I'm not going to come on last week and say that Rudy Gobert last season had a better defensive year than Akeem Olajuwon or Bill Russell. Sorry, Bob. You have more knowledge on the NBA than I do. You've seen more games. You can give more comparison points. I read the numbers. I read the article. Remember? Rudy had the best defensive year of anyone ever. Okay. But we can also check that with talking to other people about defensive metrics and how sometimes those can be unreliable when you're measuring defense. Talk to anyone smart about challenge ratings, and you'll find a, a different conclusion. You'll find a better conclusion. You get to more of the truth of what's happening. But I enjoyed that from the head coach. It meant something to the team to be top five offense and defense when they made that acquisition for Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich. I know that because I was there. They wanted to be in those parts. Now it's more of what Jordan Clarkson says. It's about proven things for later, for the playoffs. Okay, and finally, wrap up here as the Jazz are about to go on a road trip. Uh, they have that one game against Sacramento, and obviously I'm ready for Mitchell on Mitchell. Davion's going to be a defensive player of the year type of player for years to come. I think Sedano said that after Summer League when we did our Vegas recap with him. He was right. Remember that first game? That's a good battle. But I can't wait to see Atlanta on Thursday. That's going to be the fun one. I'm not sure what to think of the Hawks. Last year, when they make their run to the Eastern Conference Finals, I don't know if it's Dame and that Blazers squad running into the Warriors, or if it's something of a slow build where they have all those young players and they're just trying to get there and they're going to get over the hump in a couple years. I don't know. I know Trey Young has been affected by the new points of emphasis by the referees. Get into that. Most free throws he's had this year, seven. In the opening night last season, he had like 14. So it's already affecting him. He's already talking about it. He deals in the dark arts, much like he who must not be named. Trey Young is being affected by this. And the Jazz see him next week when they come to Vivint. A lot of Hawks over next week. But they have nice pieces. Kevin Herter, nice three-point marksman. John Collins has settled into his role. And Clint Capella, Jazz fans know about him from his time in Houston. He's an effective rim-rolling big. He'll catch lobs. I can't wait to see Atlanta twice. And then followed it up with a trip to Miami for one of the best teams in the entire league. I had the heat in my Eastern Conference trust rankings. And for good reason, this is why I trusted them. Jimmy Butler posting career numbers and points right now. And they look like a serious team. Plus, I'm sure the Jazz, when they stay there, will have to drive on Dwayne Wade Boulevard. That'll be funny. And then finish it up in Orlando. One of the worst defensive teams in the league. At least right now. I mean, if they had Jonathan and Isaac, it'd be much better, but they don't. 
and Markel Fultz isn't there. They're playing young guys. Cole Anthony needs somebody to cover him up defensively. Be fun to see how Utah deals with it defensively. KOC's boy, Mo Bamba, he's stretchy, but the Jazz are better, and they should take care of him. And we'll have you covered after that. Anyway, five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let us know that you're listening to the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere you get them, you can find us. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Friday. Chris Herring of Sports Illustrated. High on this team, so I got to talk to him. But be good. And until next time, bye for now. Thank you.